Hi, it's Ian Brody here. Uh, with me today is David Dominin, who's the founder and CEO of Hotjar.com, a new startup who've developed an analytics tool that combines things like heat maps, surveys, web chat, funnel analysis, web visitor session recording. Uh, they're currently in beta test with about 150 users worldwide, including me, and about 25,000 people have actually signed up for the beta test. So I thought this would be a great opportunity to grab some time with David, take him away from all the emergencies that you always get in a beta test, and to ask him some questions about the different types of analytics and how you can use them to grow your business. So welcome to the podcast, David. Hi, Ian. Great to be here. Excellent. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. We're going to get straight down to business. So in some ways, David, analytics is kind of like the last unexplored frontier when it comes to online marketing and websites for many businesses. You know, a lot of, especially smaller businesses, they kind of get what they need to do with their websites. They understand they should be doing things like email marketing and social media. But when it comes to analytics, I think most people, you know, they take, take a look every now and then at the basics on Google Analytics, um, but they rarely go much further. And most of the kind of insights they're getting is because they're reading things about what other people have done rather than finding out things for themselves. And, and you know, there's a real wealth of incredibly useful information they could be tapping into to improve the way their online business works. So let's start by talking through a few of those things. And we start with heat maps, um, which are one of the tools that come with Hotjar. Tell us a bit about what heat maps are and, you know, when you would use them, what you get from them. Yeah, and, and just before I go into the details, I think you made a very good point because you talked about analytics in general being kind of an unexplored frontier. Mm. Um, I think tools like Google Analytics, which kind of give more metrics and numbers, they do a really good job of that. Mm -hmm. But uh, I'd say the way Hotjar is different is that we're more after visual analytics, right. which leads to, let's say, more actionable insights. And probably you couldn't have chosen a better item to start with, which is heat maps. So if, if we look at, I use the word actionable, right? So let's look at how do we actually extract insights from heat maps. So just for anyone who's listening who hasn't had any experience with heat maps, it's like, a, a, you know, these weather forecast images you get on TV where you can get an idea of where users are actively using, clicking, scrolling on your pages. So you have so different kind of colors, yeah, to, to represent them. Exactly. So different color charts kind of overlaid on top of the of the page. So obviously with heat maps, uh, the biggest actionable thing is that you actually get to see where visitors are engaging with your page, which elements are attracting their attention or not. So if we take the example of clicks, what's interesting is to see, are my visitors clicking on items that are not actually links? Mm. So this is the most obvious, most actionable thing. And you'd be surprised visitors just click everywhere. So it gives you a very good idea of what type of content they want more of or what they'd like more explained, let's say. Mm. So it gives you an, a, a quick view as to where you need to, uh, let's say, develop more content or explain better. Similarly, and the opposite of this, any content or areas of the site which are pretty much ignored, that's basically retail space gone to waste. So a page is literally the salesman's canvas, right? So at the end of the day, with web pages, we're trying to sell. So it's the salesmanship in web. Um, so at the end of the day, anything which is not giving you any form of interaction, then that means uh, most likely 
either the way you're explaining it or the content itself is not is not that important. So this first part is kind of the matter and antimatter, I like to call it. <laughs> so what matters and what doesn't. So yeah. heat maps give you that. Besides that, obviously scroll is extremely interesting. So it gives you a very quick idea of is your content actually being seen? Because tools like analytics again tell us this page was hit, time on page, but are they actually scrolling down to this part of the content? So this is extremely insightful and it allows you to understand or at least potentially analyze, do I have a false bottom? Is the user maybe losing attention very quickly? So if they're mm. not scrolling down at all, you really need to do something to grab their attention. Yeah. If they're dropping out halfway through, you might want to consider doing links to, for example, get them to scroll down more or push some important content higher up yeah, on the page. Or make the content kind of half visible at the bottom of the screen so they know there's something there and they scroll down to see it, that sort of thing. Exactly. To be honest, I could go on for hours about this, so feel free to stop me. <laughs> <laughs> well, with heat maps, I think the, the simplest one, obviously, as you mentioned right at the start, seems to be, um, you know, what are they clicking that you, you didn't intend them to click? Because obviously, they either want to click it or it looks clickable. And what do you want them to click that they're, they're not clicking? So if you've got a, you know, your, your buy button, for example, or your sign up button, your Google Analytics, for example, is going to tell you how many clicks you got on the link on that button. Um, but it doesn't tell you if those clicks are quite low, they're not as high as you expected. Um, it doesn't tell you what they're doing instead. Whereas the, the heat map will kind of say, well, actually, they're all clicking on the picture to the left of it, expecting something to happen when they click that or or they're not scrolling down and they're never seeing the button or whatever. So it gives you, I guess, you get a certain amount of insight with the, the hard metrics of, of, of analytic, Google Analytics. But with heat maps, you begin to see some of the why what are people doing instead? Why are they not clicking where I want them to click? And what are they doing instead? Exactly. And and I consider it, well, every tool within Hotjar is kind of a piece of the puzzle because right. at the end of the day, different insights which come from different tools work together. So if we can ask, for example, I'm going to jump onto another feature here. If we can ask questions via a feedback poll on the page, those answers combined with a heat map, obviously, uh, paint a very interesting picture. Uh, right. So for, I think the, the traditional, I'm thinking back to when, when the little, so what we're talking about here is a little thing that slides up from the bottom right, for example, is traditionally how it's done. And you just ask one simple question to visitors. And I think the, the way that you, one of the, the early ways of doing that was to ask the question, you know, did you find everything you were looking for today and stuff like that? So if, if people are clicking around and you see on the heat map, they're going all over the place. But why? What, what are they actually looking for? Why are they clicking that image? Your, your little feedback form might, may well tell you what they actually are looking for that they, that they couldn't find, for example. Exactly. So if we see similarly that answers we're receiving are related to trust and users in the heat map are hovering over certain areas where there is potentially confusing or questionable information, again, you start to to connect the dots together and it, it can lead to you creating a hypothesis which then you say let's change this to the page and see how the heat map changes okay so in a way um you're kind of using the information from the the analytics to feed into things like testing the, so so um, testing obviously very important 
Um, sometimes you'll hear people say, well, test everything. But of course, you can't test everything. You have to have an idea of what and come up with some hypotheses of what is it you should be testing. So you're saying you can use things like the, the little feedback survey or the heat maps to come up with ideas for things. Oh, they're all clicking over there. Maybe what they need is or they've all said they've all asked about this thing. Maybe we need some more proof or some more evidence or maybe we need to move the button or whatever. Um, so you're using your analytics to feed into different things to then test. Spot on. And in fact, this is the ultimate way to do testing because the the big risk is that I've seen it so many times. Uh, many people run tests based on what they've heard other people do. Yes, absolutely. Or based on changing a color position and whatnot. But at the end, at the end of the day, that's like, it's, it's a very random shot at trying to get an uplift or an mm. improvement. But if you're really basing yourself on what your visitors are doing and telling you, then you're pretty much, uh, the chances are extremely high. And from my experience, once you kind of base yourself on a hypothesis or on actual visitor-based information, the chances of improving the page are, are very, very high. You know, that, that, that's really interesting because I think we're often led, I'm, I'm, big, I'm a big fan of testing, but I think we're often led to a false sense of um, the improvements you can get, through, the frequency of improvements you get through testing, because the only published test results are ones where people have seen big improvements. But I've found, and I've heard from other people who do a lot of testing, that you know, eight times out of ten, you'll do a test and you see no improvement. You'll repeatedly be testing different things: no improvement, no improvement, no improvement. Oh, we found one! Great, we'll implement that, and now we'll publish the test results. So everybody looking from the outside thinks, oh, every test you do, you get a 30% uplift. But it, it's just not as easy as that. But you're saying if you used analytics, you can guide what you're testing to have a much higher hit rate of your tests actually coming up with um, showing that something is an improvement. Exactly, and that's been my experience over a period of 10 years. I started off, let's say if I had to look at my evolution, in the very beginning, I, I was not research-driven testing, and my, my odds were very bad. Um, now I've come to a point where, and I've consulted a lot of clients, where my approach has now become test-less nearly, but um, pretty much hit the target every time. Right, because you're using the insights you've got first to know the right things to test. Okay, so we've talked about heat maps and, uh, and, and feedback. So heat maps give you this kind of overview of what people are clicking, what they're scrolling to, what they're missing out on. Um, but one of the things, and I must admit, this is something I was playing around with last night on Hotjar, is visitor playback. So what, what what have you found to be the best way of using visitor playback? Other than it's a bit like, it was a bit like watching TV for me. It just entertained me for about half an hour last night. <laughs> yeah, well, visitor playback is kind of a more of a drill down. In reality, if we had to look at it from a purely technical point of view, the heat map is a collection of all the data in the kind of playback sessions. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you look at one singular one, you actually see the mouse moving around with a red line behind it. So it's like you're watching, you're literally looking from behind the visitor's back and seeing what they're doing. So because of a little bit of code that's on the, and it's a very small piece of code you put on all the pages on your website, you can actually track where the visitor is moving their mouse and what they're clicking on, what they're scrolling, all that sort of stuff. Exactly, even what they're typing on the page and whatnot. Right. Now, obviously, privacy is really at the heart of Hotjar, so we're very careful. All the data that we collect is anonymized. We don't store IPs, so your site visitors are definitely 
kind of in good hands in that sense. Um, so it's anonymized insights, which which are kind of very easy to understand. As I said, the simple red line, you see the keystrokes. So as you can imagine, as a way of drilling in, kind of this is this is the best way for you to actually see in actual cases what's happening. Now the the ultimate way of doing this is to kind of use filtering. So an example being, I want to see. Uh, visitors who abandoned at this point and what they actually did. Or mm. I want to see visitors who were on the page for this amount of time and what they did. So while at this point in the beta, Hotjar has that technology, the new updates that are coming down now are, are very interesting because they allow you to do that. So very stupid example. Another feature we have is the conversion funnel, right? Mm. So it shows you where people are dropping off at different steps. Um, so imagine if you see that you have a lot of uh, visitors dropping off at one particular step, then you can say, I want to see people who are dropping off at this step. I want to see how ah, they you get the playback the of all those people who've dropped off. Let's say it was a, a checkout process and people have you know, selected the product. They've gone to the kind of the pay page, but a whole load have dropped out at that point. You could then say, show me the playback of all the people who've dropped out on the confirmation page or something like that and see what they do instead. Exactly. And and it goes a long way in terms of empathy because essentially what you're doing is you're putting yourself literally into the shoes of the, mm. of the visitor. So, and you'd be surprised sometimes uh, when I say empathy, even if you don't use this kind of drilling down and whatnot, just quickly running through a few of these playbacks puts you literally in the visitor's shoes and allows you also to see, is there something which is maybe not working that well? Is it something that's not clear? So it kind of forces you to stop and, and kind of look a little bit at your site from a different point of view. Yeah, you, 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 you've always got that kind of curse of knowledge thing that you can't see because you know what's on your website, what's behind the links, how it should work. It's very difficult to put yourself in your users, your visitor's shoes. But but watching them, I to say as, as I said, I was watching them for about thirty minutes last night, and I, I was I was absolutely staggered that I was I was almost shouting at the screen. I must admit because I was watching people kind of scrolling around pages on my website and going, "Well, why are you doing that? What's go? Why aren't you clicking that button? Why are you doing?" And it was I was almost getting really frustrated. But of course, what it means is my site is clearly in in those areas not clear enough. It's not guiding them to the things that they, they want to do or should be doing. A really simple example was I have quite a lot of very long blog posts. And what I noticed just watching the, the, the playbacks of people who were reading my blog posts is you'd watch the kind of observed behavior. You'd watch them, you know, kind of scroll down a bit as they're reading more. Um, it, it, I, I was watching one guy clicking, a, a you know, the, the click the tweet link and tweeting that. I'm kind of saying, oh, thank you. Thank you. As, as he did that. But um, it was, firstly, it was interesting to watch where their cursor moved. They were almost underlining on the screen some of the things they were reading as if they didn't quite understand it and they were trying to focus more on it. And then what I found was they got to the very bottom of the blog post and all of a sudden they'd scroll for miles and miles and miles and miles right back up to the top to hit the link to go and see the rest of the blog posts. Um, which, of course, is an immediate clue. Okay, maybe there needs to be a menu that's persistent or somehow they can get to the rest of the blog posts from the bottom of a blog post without having to spend you know, five minutes scrolling like mad to get right back to the top of a really long blog post because the danger is they might just quit and go somewhere else instead if it's not easy for them to do what they want. So it's amazing what kind of insights you can get from just a very short playback.
Agreed. And in a way, what you've just described there is kind of this process that I talked about, which is empathy. It's when you build your own site, as you were mentioning yourself, it's it's very difficult to use it as not the site owner or, mm. or the person who actually built it. So as I said, it's it's quite an interesting experience, I'd say, to, to kind of load up these playbacks and be forced to experience your site from their point of view. Because <laughs> mm. just so it's clear to everyone, when when you're actually seeing this, you can't obviously control the site. So you can only see what they're they're actually doing. So in a way it 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 really puts you in, in, in their point in their kind of uh their their point of view and actually it's not the first time i've heard this it's very common on most projects i've worked on that that um, site owners or or marketeers designers that actually use playbacks are, are usually quite surprised that the visitors are not using the site at all how they expected or mm. was intended and in reality it it makes sense because when you think about it if we think of the term conversion rate or metrics, like if we look at the percentage of people that actually do what we want them to do on sites is usually always a very small number, mm. right? So we're always usually talking about 10, 20, or even lower percentages. Yeah. So when you think about it, the majority of your visitors are not doing what you want them <laughs> to do for various reasons. So this is what it all comes down to. These insights are extremely actionable, extremely interesting because the potential is just so huge. Yeah, just every single one you can kind of clock up another couple of percent in terms of by making it easier for people, removing the whatever whatever it is, you can be more likely to get them to do what it is that that, that both you you want them to do, and of course they want to do themselves. So we've we've that that was uh, that was the playbacks. Uh, you mentioned earlier about funnel analysis, which is a little bit more more advanced than just kind of watching playbacks or looking at heat maps and things. So, so you described earlier that, that funnel analysis shows you the different rates of, of drop-offs at different stages in your funnel. So a funnel could be, for example, the steps from someone clicking on a purchase link, going through a checkout process, or it could be someone coming to a landing page and and signing up for your emails and going to the thank you page and maybe there's an offer there or whatever. Um, that that sounds a little bit like you, you've got to be a little bit more advanced in your marketing. But is there stuff you can do with funnel analysis that that you know that, that even with a, a relatively simple website? Let's say I was just a consultant and I, I had some showcased my services on on my website. I had a blog. Um, I had a contact page and stuff like that. Is there a way I could use funnel analysis there? That's a great question. And the reason why I'm saying it's a great question is even working with some of the biggest sites, uh, uh, which which have the most complex structures and layouts and, and uh, systems, still the most simplest funnel is the best. Right. So I'll give you a small tip here. So the key idea here is that most, the biggest mistake most people do is they try and build funnels starting from where the visitor starts on your site. Yeah. The most important thing with funnels is to think, what do you actually want your visitors to do on, the, on, on your site? What's the key objective? What's the goal? Mm. So if it's an e-commerce site, then it would be the thank you page, right? That's, mm. that's the holy grail. After the yes. <laughs> exactly. If it's a subscription, then it's obviously the subscribe page mm. and whatnot. So the key with a funnel is if we had to start with that page in mind being the far right of the funnel, mm -hmm. what would be the steps from there that typically 
uh, a visitor takes to get there. So if we know that typically they start off on the home page, that would be step one. Hmm. If we then know that typically they'd go to visit a product page, then that's step two. Three would be the the checkout page and fourth, the thank you page. So that's an example when it comes to e-commerce. So building out that funnel uh, basically shows you, and by thinking the opposite direction, it's going to show you where you're actually kind of bleeding the most. So bleeding visitors. Mm. So what we're looking for is actually not how many people are actually making it through to each step, but instead, what percentages of visitors am I losing at every step? And why is this important? Because let's say we had to realize that from the home page to the product page is where we miss or drop 80% of our visitors. But then on the other steps, we're losing 30-40%. Given that knowledge, we know that the place we need to start working first is obviously the home page. Mm. Because that's the place where we have the biggest volume and the biggest bleeding, let's say. Yeah. So I want to go and attack that wound as quickly as possible. Mm. And this, so obviously as a tool, it's extremely valuable when it comes to, let's say, prioritizing uh, and focusing on where to work. Again, another big mistake I've seen a lot over the years working with, with many different clients is that typically we try and do too much. So focus is really important and identifying opportunities in this way is kind of the, uh, the most uh, numerical, analytical way to do it. So you start where you have the biggest bleeding and the most volume. So does that mean that really when you're doing this kind of analytic approach, you should probably be starting with a funnel analysis to, to identify. So if you, firstly, it gives you some clarity anyway. If it was that consultant we mentioned before, probably he or she wants the potential client to hit the contact page and submit a contact form maybe beforehand you, they want them to look at their services so they know what they're buying and maybe beforehand they're on the home page or maybe they go to the about page or whatever so they could define a little funnel um so you, you do that first to see where people are dropping out and then you go to your heat maps and your playbacks and things like that um for the most important ones rather than just immediately sticking a heat map on your home page or whatever if it turns out that that isn't the most important page where where most of the bleeding is happening absolutely that's the plan i've always followed actually right <laughs> you always start with the funnel and then you start collecting insights on the most important pages um and you start doing improvements and then hopefully moving more people down into your funnel and moving your focus elsewhere and again, so you're doing it there, not just based on a kind of whim of, oh, my homepage needs to look prettier, or based on, well, somebody else got an improvement by changing the color of their sign-up button. You're doing it by figuring out the, the area where I need the biggest improvement is this. Therefore, I'll run some analytics on that page to come up with ideas to what could improve it and maybe put a survey in or something like that. And then I'll, uh, I'll actually test out a couple of, uh, a couple of different options. Absolutely. That is by far the best way to get um, really good results. results. And when you think about it, when you think about it, it makes sense. Let's take a quick parallel into the real world. Yeah. If you were working as a salesman in, in a shop, um, and if you wanted to improve sales, would you start changing the color of the sign outside and uh, kind of just moving just around? Be, just because the next door, yeah, just because the next door shop, got you changed exactly. the color of their sign and got a good result. It doesn't mean yours is going to. Exactly. What I would do first is first off understand what I'm selling well, what I'm not, and where visitors 
to the shop are going and then asking those visitors, listen, <laughs> what are you looking for? What's missing? What do you think? So I'd want to ask them, obviously, that's where, where you're going to get the most interesting insights. Mm. Well, that, actually, that, that, that leads me on to the kind of the next question in that we've talked in a way about some kind of hard insights with data and numbers uh, in there. But obviously, some of the real insight often comes from more qualitative information. So you, you've got a couple of things in Hotjar. You, you, you've got surveys and you've got f- these little feedback polls, which kind of pop up at the bottom right. When would you use each one? What, what are the different circumstances where you use each one? A survey is obviously a little bit bigger where you send someone to a page with three or four questions on. The little poll is usually just the one and it's on whatever page they're on. Yeah, that's an important question, actually, because it's good to know what their what their purpose is for for two kind of different tools. And in fact, we quite often asked why are they actually separate? Because in a way, the poll like small box on the site is kind of a small survey, right? Mm, yeah. But we differentiate the two because the poll, so the tiny widget thing that comes up, and you can either make a multiple choice or fill in a box. That's that's mainly intended to collect insights from visitors. So these are people you probably don't have your email address. Um, you don't know who they are. They came and they left. They're the 80% people that were bleeding on the homepage, if you know mm-hmm. what I mean. So in order to get some insights from them, we can't present them with a complex survey. There's no way um, this guy who just arrived on the site, moved the mouse a little bit around, and then is abandoning is going to fill out a survey. Right. So instead, um, we have that tiny widget pop up and we can ask him a quick question. Um, very simple, attracts attention. Why, why, why did you decide not to sign up today? Or what's missing on this page? Uh, how would you improve this page? These type of questions uh, allow us to uncover some interesting insights. Mm. So that's and, and actually the questions are also often about the page they're on, aren't they? Because they they're just there, it's in the moment. Exactly. It's there and then. And and typically you're asking feedback about that particular page again, mm. because they're abandoning at that point. So it makes sense to ask it there and then. But then um, the survey, so when we say a survey, so one, we call the polls feedback polls, because it's mainly feedback poll on the page kind mm-hmm. of. Surveys are more full-fledged surveys, which we're pretty much all quite used to. So you load a page, which in it there are questions and you can answer there and then. So a survey is typically used much more with your actual user. So this is someone who probably have his email address, he's signed up, he or she has actually purchased your product or uses the service. So it's more in-depth as opposed to quick uh, and easy. And when we say in-depth, what's interesting here is to take the flip coin of the situation, which is asking them, what made, what nearly made you not sign up? Or what was your biggest fear or concern? Or right, what was or your what, concern what, before you signed up and what was your experience afterwards and stuff like that? Exactly. Because what's great about that is at the end of the day, you're getting the same insights as if they were a visitor. But what's great about it is that they're more qualified to give you that reply because they actually made it through. So these are the ideal people you want to be talking to, if you know what I mean. Ah, right. So, so with it, with it, with it, with the, the so the caveat with the the quick feedback poll is that you'll get lots of information, but some of it could be from people who were never going to sign up or never going to never going to buy anything anyway. It could be a anyway, little bit irrelevant. Yeah. Whereas the ones who have bought or who have signed up, you're kind of if you ask them about why they nearly didn't, 
So, you know, did you have any concerns before signing up to get my newsletter or whatever? Um, and if they tell you those, those will be the concerns that good prospective signups have. Exactly. And in reality, there is no good or bad. But as you can imagine, if you do both, connect the dots and mm. then have a heat map, some playbacks, you're really starting to connect the dots and seeing the big picture. Right, yeah. So what, what have you seen? Can you give us some kind of uh, practical examples of businesses you've worked with or seen that have used polls and service? And what kind of changes have they ended up making to their, to their business, to their website as a result? Yeah, that's 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 an interesting question because uh, <laughs> there are so many different examples. Let's take a couple at random. Mm -hmm. So a landing page for a gaming site where we want um, visitors to sign up, right, mm -hmm. for the service. So we did the heat map. We noticed that there were some areas which didn't have a lot of interaction. We did the poll. Um, the poll revealed that there were some trust issues. So they weren't convinced um, about the service itself. When we ran the survey, um, we identified by asking kind of what are your fears and concerns, whether um, money was actually being paid out. Right. Uh, kind of to people who won. So obviously we used the heat map, identified an area which was not being interacted with. Um, and in that area, we placed... Uh, latest winnings and, and like comments from people who won. Oh, right. Yeah. So that's just kind of a kind of little proof element. And that, yeah. But no, uh, that's, that's, exactly. that's, but that's also, again, very systematic process because you use the feedback pool first to identify the main area of concern and then use the survey to follow up and get some more details on it from the people who did kind of push through that barrier. Exactly. So there you get the more qualified piece mm. of the puzzle. But at the end of the day, the poll on the page is extremely effective because we talked about 80% leaving the page, right? So mm. by getting the answer there, we understand what's the lever that can really change that conversion rate yeah. really quickly. Um, but then we follow up with the survey to get some kind of more qualification on who are really the type of people we want to kind of convince yeah. here. What, okay. what are their problems? And what do you need to do to convince them, for example? Exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, and what's great with surveys as well is that you can also ask, we typically do this, ask the respondent, if we have more questions, can we kind of uh, email you or have a phone call? Um, because at the end of the day, so if we see that the biggest objection is trust, for example, mm -hmm. being able to then reach out to clients who had that issue and speak to them in more detail and look at the page together and show them some ideas, that's really the ultimate way to pretty much guarantee you're going to get a win. But in most cases, um, most organizations skip this step, probably just because we're, we're too confined in our offices using our uh, <laughs> kind of our computers. So it's, it's good to get out there and speak to, right. to, the, to the visitors' users. So... We, we've, I think we've, we've covered really quite a lot so far, David. We've covered the kind of the heat maps, the playbacks, the analytical side of funnels, and we've, you've done the, the, the stuff about surveys as well. Lots of stuff um, that people can use that's way above what you might get from just your basic analytics that you might install with Google Analytics or, or whatever you're using. Um, now, there are obviously lots of different tools on the market. I've used some of them before. 
Um, the, the visitor playback was new for me. That was why I was so fascinated last night. Um, you know, there are some tools for polls, some tools for heat maps. Um, I've not, I, I'm not, as I say, I've not done um, playback before. But I'm sure there are some tools from those as well. Um, but obviously, you guys are, have developed Hotjar and you're launching it, and presumably you've put it all in one place because you think it's all best in one place. What, what, what's the advantages of having all the, the kind of tools combined, combined in one place? <laughs> yeah, um, I'd say you've, you've already seen our first, let's say, beta version. Mm. So I'd say this version we have now is basically the technologies for each feature in place. Mm-hmm. The next phases will be us connecting or allowing the, the, our users to much easily connect the dots, let's say, between these features. So the advantage of having all of them in one interface is that it would be so much easier to paint that picture. So, for example, um, so you, an example, so you do, yeah, yeah, yeah go, go, go for it. Give us an example. So an example would be from the conversion funnel directly being able to deploy uh, polls onto pages or seeing a heat map um, or equally being able to see someone who said something in a poll, how did they actually use the site? Ah, so you so, could see their playback, and that would give you more insight because they've said X, I didn't do this because of Y. Have a look at their playback and see what they actually did. All right, got it. Exactly. And besides that, that's kind of, let's say, the more technical side mm-hmm. of connecting the dots. But more importantly, there's a reason why we've set up uh, Hotjar to be unlimited users and unlimited sites for any organization. The reason being is that we want to make it a hub for discussion and sharing within the teams and and the organization itself. So the plan is that in the future, we're going to be providing tools which allow for very easy discussion sharing of these insights, because that's typically a big bottleneck as well within organizations. All right. So I noticed right now on the, on the interface, I I, I think I I asked a question and I had a little thing pop up from you um, answering the question. So I'm guessing it's going to could be a bit like that where you have teams can interact with each other about a particular funnel or about a particular heat map and kind of almost annotate it and share ideas. Exactly. That's that's the yeah. future of Hotjar. <laughs> clever, clever. Well, to be honest, even right now, um, installing one script on your website rather than five and just going, you know, having one login and seeing them all there as opposed to logging into five different systems on five different pages. And I guess one of the... Um, I hadn't thought of it before, but just, just thinking of it now, one of the problems you get with different analytical tools trying to use them together is that they, they all come up with slightly different numbers. So, you know, whenever I look at my Facebook conversion numbers on Facebook versus what it says on Google Analytics versus what it says on lead pages, whatever it might be, they all have a different number. <laughs> and uh, yeah. so I, I can imagine if you were doing kind of, you had a heat map tool and then playback and you couldn't tell, which, you know, which, which, which actually related to each other, it might be a bit of a pain. Okay, so, and I guess one of the other implications is it might be a little bit cheaper to get them all in one place than to buy them all separately. Um, obviously, you're still in beta test. It's free for people to try it out for now. But what, what are your kind of intentions when it comes to pricing over the, over the longer term? Yeah, uh, we, we're actually coming to, we, we've already promised or at least uh, set the price already for, for Hotjar. So, and and. Our plan is to make this extremely accessible to everyone, no matter the size of the organization. Mm. So we're actually being extremely disruptive in the sense that Hotjar is simply $29 a month, and that's dollars. So obviously we'll be doing 
uh, to be doing that in other currencies, but that's for now because we're in beta, just our base currency. So it's $29 per month, no matter the size you, of the company you are, no matter how many features you use, no matter how many users you bring in. So that's really another big kind of disruptive element to Hotjar. Um, and the reason why we managed to do that is we're doing some clever things when it comes to the way we're leveraging new hosting technologies. Ah. Um, and besides that, we also do kind of sampling. So as opposed to collecting every piece of data on your site, which when you think about it, it's impossible to process and use. Um, instead, we do clever ways of kind of collecting the data. So for example, there's no point collecting every playback, every uh, session on your site. Instead, we collect enough samples uh, for, so that if you look at or looking for insights, then you'll still be able to get that despite the kind of the samples. So you've got enough, but, but you don't have, you know, you don't leave it running and have 10,000 video playbacks all clogging up the system, for example. Correct. And this is kind of a way what Google Analytics does. So they do a lot of sampling as well in a different way, but okay. it's, it's a very similar principle. Um, so that's what allows us to keep the price low despite the extremely intensive uh, processing and, and, and storage okay. that, that obviously this type of tool uh, kind of has to do in order to give you all these kind of insights. Yeah, because basically if you were, if you were to go out and buy all these separately, you'd be paying the same or more for each of the individual tools and usually with some restrictions associated as well. Absolutely. And even if you look at, at Hotjar in terms of a tool set, our, our plan is never to kind of try and compete with these bigger enterprise tools. In fact, Hotjar is not even built for enterprise or slow-moving companies. So we pride ourselves in saying, this is an extremely agile, lean tool for agile, lean companies, no matter their size. But we're, we're definitely not after building complex tools that uh, take ages to use and deploy. Okay, so you, you're, not, you're not planning to have uh, um, HSBC or whatever buy one instance of Hotjar for $29 and deploy it on 87,000 websites around the world? <laughs> well, funnily enough, they could. And we were really surprised because... Um, we've had we've had some really big companies uh, already sign up for early mm. access, ah. so technically they can because it's um, extremely agile. It's extremely, uh, as, as we said, we talked about the sampling thing. Mm. So it's it, it, it's it still works despite the the high traffic volumes, okay. and they'll be getting enough insights uh, in order to go out and 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 kind of get the job done anyway. Okay. So, so yeah, it would be interesting to see how, how different type of organizations will be leveraging this tool. But, uh, but especially suitable for um, little businesses like me, uh, where there's just the one Absolutely. or two of us and we want to get some insights quickly rather than uh, paying thousands upon thousands um, just for a bunch of tools. Absolutely. And we, yeah, we, we're extremely proud of this. So we've built it for people like you. So that's definitely the case. So designers, marketeers, uh, business owners, store owners, that's, that's the idea. We want to bring these very interesting, actionable technologies and make them accessible to, to the masses. Okay. So, so, so in future, it's going to be 29. Right now, it's free on the beta. 
Um, and if, if people want to want to get involved, then they can just try out the beta test of Hotjar. You've got you've built as I said, you build up a kind of waiting list of twenty five thousand people, and the the first hundred or so of us have got in now. But you're you're beginning to roll out quicker now. Am I right? Correct. Yeah. So by next week, we plan to give access to potentially around another two, three hundred people. So we're going to be moving very fast now. Okay. And the reason is the reason why we staggered it out is that obviously there's a limit to how many people we can speak to at one go. Mm. But now we need the numbers to understand what are the most important things for us to fix and, right. and improve. And kind of stress so, tested as so, well. Brilliant. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. Fantastic. So um, if anyone wants to try the beta of Hotjar for free, you can sign up just by clicking. There'll be a link below this kind of podcast um, or on the site at ianbrody.com. You can sign up there. Um, you can express yourself up the queue to get earlier in the beta test. If you share, once you've signed up, you, you get a link and you can share that with other people and that gets you up the queue, which is exactly what I'm doing right now. And it's how I got <laughs> to be part of the first 100. Um, so that's brilliant. So I do advise you, have a go with that. I found it to be very simple to do. All you need to do is if you've got a WordPress website, for example, you just um, you know find a way of getting it into the, the, the a little short piece of script into the footer. Um, and of course, it works with any other type of website as well, as long as you can get that little script in there. And then you just log into Hotjar and you switch on the different features. You say, oh, yeah, I'll have a heat map for this page. I'll collect visitors here. Um, you define your funnel of which pages and it just starts working. It's all very, very simple. Right, brilliant. So, David, that has been really good. Um, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. And uh, I think that's just about it. Um, so as I say, everyone, um, hope you found this really helpful, little insights. Whether you use Hotjar or not, insights there on using analytics. And I think, especially for me, the big thing that came out was to take that systematic approach. So rather than just trying to improve your website by looking what other people are doing or taking some guesses and rolling some dice, look at your funnel, start off with your funnel, find the big areas where you've got leaks, where you're bleeding, Put some analytics in there to see what people are doing instead. Ask them some questions to find out what the problems are. Um, then come up with some ideas for solutions and test those different solutions and see which ones give you the biggest improvements. And just keep cycling around that and you'll start getting better performance out of your website pretty quickly. And of course, Hotjar is a great tool for doing that. Thoroughly recommend um, you get hooked up and, uh, and start using it. Brilliant. Thanks, everyone. Speak to you all again soon. Thank you.